This is this is this is the Bottom Bends podcast. Oh yeah! Hello and welcome back to the Bottom Bends. I am Richie, joined today by Connor, of course, from the Bottom Bends. How's things, lad? Not too bad. Not too bad. And we have a very special guest today, a good friend of mine from school, who has recently started his own Manchester United YouTube channel, The United Philosophy. Joined by Stefan McVeigh. Stefan, how's things, lad? Not too bad, Richie. Good to, good to be on with you, mate. How's it going? Not too bad, lad. Not too bad. Great to have you on. So we will have Stefan's channel in the bio at the end. So please, everybody, if you are a Manchester United fan, go over and give him a follow for up-to-date United news, whether it be transfers, analysis, all that good stuff. Go over and give him a follow. So today we are starting a new series, folks. It is perfect pre-season. So who better to start with than all three of our teams, Manchester United. Um, and what we're going to do in this series is we're going to break down ownership models, going to break down the managers, the teams, the tactics, and some of the transfers that they can bring in before the start of the 2023-2024 Premier League season. So just going to kick it off then, boys, with Manchester United's ownership. Now, this, of course, is very polarising on social media between United fans. We'll have 50% very much in the Qatari camp, 50% very much in the Sir Jim Ratcliffe camp. So, Stefan, just going to come to you first. Look, I know it's quite difficult to say which one you will be for, which one you're against. It, it, it's hard to label yourself as, as one of the two because, unfortunately, coming as a content creator, if you say one or the other, you, you, you 50% of your comments then flooded the other way. So I'm just wondering, Stefan, just in your own opinion, out of the two bids that are on the table at the minute, the two bids that look like are, are making progress, which of the two would you be more keen on? Well, I think that's a very good question, Richie. I think when you look at it, really, you've got what the Qataris are offering, right, is genuinely unbeatable for what United actually want as a club. We want Glazers out. We want the stadium redeveloped, the training grounds redeveloped. We want to see brand new players on the pitch for us who want to see more ambition at the club. So they would definitely bring all that. Obviously, there's a whole other kettle of fish that they bring as well. Um, sports wash and things like that are definitely big considerations. And I've actually said a few times on the channel myself, it's like if it was anybody else but Qataris making this bid, if it was an English guy making this bid, everybody would be clamoring to have this one. I think in terms of what Radcliffe will bring if he does if he was to get it, I think there's a lot of different things. Obviously, the big one's keeping the Glazers. Now, a lot of fans feel quite betrayed by that because I'm sure you remember last year, Radcliffe came out and he said he wanted to buy the club, but it wasn't for sale. So he's talking a big game. This is about August last year because kind of when the protests really kicked up around the poor start of the season. So I think what Radcliffe would bring would be, he would definitely look to bring in the best in class in terms of, you know, directors, scouts and stuff like that. But it might not. It might be a longer process getting us back to where we want to be. I think Qatar might be the way to go. It's like a fast track way of doing it. Do you know what I mean? Obviously, there's moral considerations and stuff. Now, some people are concerned about it. Some people wouldn't be as well. We can see that online definitely. So, I, I think it's a real mixed bag. Definitely for me, it's a hard way. It's a hard one to go one way or another. You know what I mean? Like. Definitely, that definitely, and and I think that is unfortunately, as you know, like a Manchester United content creator, I, I've seen it a lot over Instagram. It is just 
two very different opinions and, and it seems as though if you offer up one opinion compared to another one half of the fan base really really has a go with you for 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 voicing your opinion as such connor just moving across to you then look looking at the qataris in in particular here sheikh jaseem look some of the stuff he's talked about massive investment in the club's infra- infrastructure this includes repairs and maintenance to old trafford upgrading the facilities at carrington he is currently judging by what you see from sources on twitter the front runner and chris weller um on twitter last week mentioned that there was the possibility of entering into an exclusivity period where the rain group would only deal with his end of the bid so coming from yourself then connor look just solely looking at the qataris could you see that bid being accepted See, it's hard to know because it's been going on for so long. There was talk that it was going to be in March the decision was going to be made. Um, as Stefan said, there's positives and negatives to both. It really is to do with um, with the Qataris. I do think it would be fast-tracked, as Stefan said. I think for me, you just even look at the Man City ownership and their model and how successful they've been. And I think he can bring the money and he can uh, bring us back to where we were. There obviously is the... There's obviously issues uh, surrounding the Qataris with, uh, you know, issues outside of football. But again, like we spoke about it last week on the podcast and we're no different of a position, really. You know, we don't really know what's going to happen. And I find that a lot of people are struggling to come out and say what they think of it because obviously, you know, human rights reasons and stuff like that. But also because a lot of people don't know. I guess it's kind of one of them ones you just don't know. The Qatari one does sound like, Disney like like magical. Oh, he's going to come in. He's going to do all these things. But he does. He does have the money. Um, with Radcliffe, as I said last week, you know he was the owner in Nice, and you're seeing players like Dante is the captain in Nice coming out and saying, you know, he's came into the club and he's made no difference. You know, he he said, oh, we're going to get Champions League football. We're going to, you know, do well in French football. But none of that's happened. Um, they haven't bought well. They haven't. You know, the scouting's been poor. I know. I know he is going to offer that. For me. It, I, see, it's hard to say, but I think the Qataris, the more it goes on, I do think they will get the bid. It's definitely an interesting one, isn't it? Like, when you look at these two sets of, of prospective owners. Stefan, just coming back to um, Jim Ratcliffe then. Look, minority stake will still be given to the Glazers, which is something that a lot of Manchester United fans don't want to hear. And to be honest, I think it, it's it's the main reason why so much of the fan base is leaning towards Qatari, or the Qataris because they don't want the Glazers in the club at all. Now, just touching on what Connor said as well, Stefan, the Nice captain Dante did come out publicly and slam Ratcliffe in the media, said that there was a lack of investment, the, the club's infrastructure wasn't great, they were promised that they would be competing for titles. I know that's hard when Paris Saint-Germain's in the same league as them, but they finished ninth in league on this season, that they finished outside European places. And, and this is a team that, you know, when you look at them on paper, were probably good enough to finish in the top four in France. So do you think, looking at Radcliffe's side of things, is that a big negative then at, at, at his perspective bid? Well, <clears throat> I think it's definitely something you will have to consider. Like, the thing is with Radcliffe, we actually have an actual track record for what his performance would be like at a club. And I think that's something that a lot of people are buying into at the moment, looking at Nice and how it's gone down there. Obviously, the Qataris have owned PSG for a while. It hasn't gone to plan. They want the Champions League. 
victories and haven't got there yet. They also owned Malaga. That was an absolute disaster in Spain. So I think both ways, it can, you can kind of make arguments for and against. Now, definitely the Nice stuff is very, very concerning for me personally. And it is something we wouldn't see at United. Personally, I don't think we would see Harry Maguire club captain coming out and speaking against ownership or anything but I do think certainly that there is a proven track record with Jim Radcliffe at least we know what it might be like and I think it's it's not gone to plan it hasn't been what he has promised the Nice fans obviously as you said very difficult to go into a league and try compete against Paris Saint-Germain I mean you're going up against a team with a front three of Neymar Mbappe and Messi like you know, there's only going to be one winner in that league title, but I do think Nice have definitely underperformed. I think the big thing is disconnect between the players and the guys running the club. That, for me, is really concerning. 100%. 100%. I think any sort of disconnect isn't isn't a great sign to see. But again, lads, look, I think the one thing we can agree on as Manchester United fans is that we just want the best for the club, uh, regardless of, of who is in charge. We, we just want... Manchester United to be back at the top really and and competing at the top table which we haven't done for uh which we haven't done for a very long time if we're being honest about it so Connor just coming to you then regardless of whether it's Ratcliffe or Qataris if you could have one thing that changes immediately with new ownership what is it you'd be looking for that's a good question because a lot needs to change um obviously how the how the club is run you know as you were saying there, it's been a long time since we've been anywhere. And I, I think that is due to the fact that, you know, the directors of football and the people in charge have been very poor. Um, some of the signings, you know, we're overspending. We're waiting to, I've seen a stat there that in 20, we well, haven't signed a player in June since 2019, which is worrying because as I keep saying is these big teams, they get the players in early and they get the, you know, the, the, the squad together. And it definitely helps when you start in the second week of August, and you have that team together and they've played games together and to get off that good start, it's a big thing. And United for years, like even last year, we lost our first two games. And in the end, it, it didn't cost us top four, but it cost us maybe, you know, we even challenging for a title. Um, obviously, we need to fix the stadium. They, there's a lot of long-term things that need to happen. Um, but that that would be the main thing. As you said, like we haven't been successful for years. I was looking through the last, since Ferguson's left, we've came, we've got Champions League football five out of the 10 years. And before that, uh, since we hadn't been outside the top four since 1990. So it just shows since Ferguson's left, um, it's just been a complete disaster. Definitely, definitely. I think for myself, if I could have one thing that an owner could do immediately, I, I think the most important thing is uh, Carrington. So some of the stuff that, you know, even going back to Ronaldo's interview in November, some of the, some of the things he said about Carrington were quite telling. You know, we're, at the end of the day, we're Manchester United. We're, we're the biggest football club in the world and your facilities need to reflect that status and to have such a monumental figure in world football come out and say things that were so damning about Manchester United's facilities was was not great to hear, to be honest. And especially from a club legend, it's it's not what you want to hear as a fan. Stefan, same question to yourself then. One thing you could change with prospective ownership straight away, what are you looking at? Well, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of things you could change. You know, you could say you could change the team or invest in the stadium and all that. But I think the biggest thing without getting to, like, philosophical or anything on it is bringing a culture of ambition from the top to the bottom and that's the most important thing you know managers come and go players come and go whole teams come and go but if you have the drive within the actual club that 
it's winning first and it's winning at all costs. It's not worrying about balance sheets. It's not worrying about profits or shirt sales. It's, is this player going to improve us? Will this manager be the right fit for us? Should we invest in the stadium so that we can have the best stadium in the world? That all comes down to ambition. Obviously, completely lacking under the Glazers, as we know. Something they have done throughout their entire re- reign over Manchester United is they haven't really played an active part in actually running the club. It's always been guys who they trust. It's always been the Woodwards. It's always been uh, the Matt Judges, the Richard Arnolds of this world. I think what we want to see is guys who are genuinely there, footballing people who want this club to win, want it to succeed. That's what I think the biggest thing that any owner comes in, regardless of its guitar or if it's Radcliffe, turn the club around make it a football club again, not a business, and we want to win on the pitch at all costs. And that goes across every level. It goes from senior team to youth teams to women's teams. We want to be the best, and that's what we have to get back to. And I think until we get that sort of ambition and drive in the club, I I don't think we're going to get there. Agreed, mate. Agreed. And and ambition is something that that I like to hear from, from United fans. You know, getting ourselves back to that place that the club really should be, to be honest, and, and that we have been quite far off for for quite some time now well moving it on from the ownership uh, lads that was some great insight from the two of you um and moving on to prospective transfers then for this season so look lads a couple of names already thrown into the mixer this summer and look as united fans we know these sagas can go on all summer long unfortunately but the first player i'm going to talk about today lads is eric ten hag's priority target in midfield which is chelsea's mason mount now stefan this is a player that myself and Connor have criticised quite heavily on the podcast last season. Um, him and Havertz uh, did not get it hand- handy from us at all last season. Um, and, you know, just on one of your videos, you know, I, I left a comment saying I thought it was a lot of money for a player who would ultimately maybe only come in a, as a backup to Ericsson. Um, I didn't see him as, as a starter um, in front of Ericsson. But look... The deal's still on the table. Chelsea have reduced their asking price, according to sources, um, from uh, the 65 to 70 million to now 60 million. So United's full package deal did meet that 60 million requirement. So the deal's still on. Stefan, just going to come to you first on it. What do you make of Mount? Does he improve Manchester United? And can this deal get done? Well, I think that's a couple of questions. We'll go for can he improve us first? I think he definitely can. Um, I think when we look at what Ericsson brings to the team, I think an awful lot of technical quality and Ericsson, very good in possession, very good creator from deep, and he links up well with the likes of Bruno and Casemiro. But I think the biggest thing that we've seen from Ericsson all season is he's very passive. He very, very rarely goes into a tackle, very rarely gets into the pressing, and I think Mount would bring that more into United's game. I, I think there's other players out there who would probably do it better I think if you wanted to go by a pressing monster, you wanted to go bring some real physicality into midfield, you could do that. But I think what Mount does offer definitely is he's a very intelligent player. And I think I think last season's maybe an unfair comparison to make. I think obviously Chelsea were bad across the board. Every player on that team was an absolute disgrace last season for their club. And I'm sure their fans are genuinely, you know, feeling really let down still by last season. But I think I think there's a player in Mount. I think he can get back there. I think Look, there was a lot of people this time last year, they were saying the same thing about Marcus Rashford. You know, he came off a season, five goals, and then he goes and scores 30 goals. So I think there's still a player in Mount. Whether he's the perfect fit, I don't know. I think it's a very attacking midfield if you line up with Casemiro, Bruno, and Mason Mount. You know, you've not got a lot of defensive real 
reinforcements in there now whether that's because we want to play higher up the pitch and you know we're not going to be under the cosh as much I don't know but I think there's definitely things Mount can bring it it all depends on the steel like I think Chelsea probably will sell him in the end I think we will get him and I think that's because we've put a very good offer on the table we're overpaying for him to start with you know guys got one year left in his contract but I think when we're seeing that he's saying he's going to walk for free next season if he doesn't get going this season and he seems that he only wants to join United I, I think it gets done eventually might be one of those ones that drags out for an unnecessary long period of time I mean we know what United are like for dragging things out but I, I think Mount will come in I think he'll offer something different and I, th- I think he probably will be a good signing all things considered but still overpriced in my opinion as well yeah I I, I think overpriced is probably the term that I'm always going to come back to whenever whenever we talk about Mount. Um, Connor, again, just, just sticking with the English midfielder. Look, didn't have a great season last season. As we know, we, we, we had <laughs> quite a bit to say on that. Um, but looking at it now, sort of retrospectively, look, out of the last three years, he has won Chelsea's Player of the Year twice out of those three years. There is a decent player in there. What can you see him offering to United? And would this have been sort of the first target or would this even have been a target that you thought would have been on Ten Hag's radar? To be honest, no. But the big thing he does bring us is energy, um, especially in midfield where Erickson, I thought when he came back from injury, was was poor, to be honest. He had a good start to the season, but um, I, th- I think it is the big thing is energy in midfield. I, obviously, Ten Hag, is, it's his number one choice. He's, he's willing to pay big money for him. Again, United's track record uh, has is going to cost them because you know a lot of clubs are just know they can get a lot of money from them you know 60 million for a player that's out of contract next year is looking to go to man united um is crazy uh, in my opinion but as you said he was chelsea player of the year twice there was uh two years ago 11 goals 10 assists he does provide creativity and he can get goals so erickson obviously likes to play a bit deeper and uh get the ball deeper and then create that way but I think Mount can play a similar role and again, defensively, probably a bit better than Erickson. Erickson, as Stefan said, wouldn't really go in for a tackle. Um, but for me, I'd rather have like a player like Casado, to be honest, a bit more strength in there and then he still provides the energy. But if this is the player Ten Hag wants, then I just have to back the manager, to be honest. But me and you have been saying all season that he had really underperformed. A lot of players, Chelsea players underperformed. So, you have to be willing to give him another chance. You know, Havertz is going to Arsenal, which is crazy. Um, but these clubs are willing to pay the money and give these players a second chance, which they probably earned because Mount has been a good player for three or four years. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm a bit worried about him, but I, I'm just going to have to back the manager. Yeah, I I, I do agree, lad. I do agree. I, I do think if he does come into Manchester United, I think the fact that he's actually actively looking to sign for Manchester United is ultimately a good thing because you want players to come in through the door who actually want to put the shirt on, play for the badge, and not necessarily play for the pay packet uh, that, that they're that they're receiving every week, which is unfortunately something that a lot of United signings these last 10 years have just done, really cashed in on their payday. Moving on then from midfield, lads, um, and on to the goalkeeper position. Uh, news broke today that David De Gea 
signed his United contract, but then United backed out of it. So it, it looks as though De Gea, a club legend, is going to be leaving the club this summer um, on a free transfer. But the biggest name that's being linked to United at the minute, and the one that's being thrown about quite a lot, is Andre Onana, the Inter Milan goalkeeper who used to play for Ajax under Ten Hag. Now, boys, the one thing that's irking me about this transfer, I think he's a very good goalkeeper, but he was available on a free last summer. And now Inter Milan are going to get upwards of 50 million euros for the player. Now, look, has some fantastic stats. He's 27 years of age. He has a 76.4% save percentage rate. And he takes 43.81 touches per 90. Highlighting how key he is on in possession of the ball. And how good of a distributor he is. Stefan, coming to you first. Is this the ideal goalkeeping target for Manchester United? Or is there someone else in your mind that you think could fill the position? I think that's a very good question, Ritzy. I, th- I think, honestly, there's, I would say there's two outstanding candidates. And I would say you have Onana and you've got Diogo Costa. And it comes it comes down to affordability. You know, if we're working with a limited budget and you told me we can get Onana and a striker or get Costa for 75 million, which is a lot more money when you're working and relying on sales. And we know what United are like for selling players. We're, we're shocking at it as well. So I would prefer to go for Onana, I think. All things considered, you've two very similar goalkeepers, but Costa's 22, 23. You know, he's got, he's probably at the same level at a younger age. So there's definitely a higher ceiling there. But I think, I think what Anana would bring would be a lot of good qualities to this team, a lot of things we need. I mean, playing out from the back's a big one. We've seen it many times last season, you know, trying to play out, we've got caught out. I mean, the the worst case I can think of was up Brentford 4 0. There was about two or three goals just from De Gea passing it out. And I think. Overall, whilst De Gea, yeah, he's a club legend, most appearances for a goalkeeper, most clean sheets, you know, no one's going to take that away from the guy. I think it probably is time to move on. I think towards the end of last season, we could really start to see the limitations in his game. It seemed to be getting worse and worse every match. I think the worst that I actually seen him play was that Sevilla away match. I think that was an absolute disaster from himself. But honestly, nothing but respect to him for his career. I think Onana comes in, really helps us build up from the back. And that's going to be the big thing, you know, We've got two good ball-playing centre-backs in Varane and Martinez. Luke Shaw is very good in the ball. Midfield will be good in the ball. From there, you know, you can play higher up the pitch. You can have more attacking players on the pitch because you're not needing to build up, you know, from your own half, you know. And it comes down to what Ten Hag believes. And, you know, it's all that. It's a Dutch-style football. It all comes from Cruyff and them guys. It's like you basically start the attack once the goalkeeper takes a goal kick. You know what I mean? That's kind of what the whole belief is. Once you have possession, you're attacking. So I think if we can be more unpredictable, I think Onana probably will give some older United fans uh, some shocks next season as well when he starts dribbling out of the box if he comes. Um, but I, I think I think all things considered, it'll be a big, big, big transformative sign. You know, think of what Allison's done at Liverpool or Ederson's done at City. Even, you know, to a lesser extent, Ramsdale at Arsenal, you know, when he came in for, for Leno, people were saying, is he actually a better goalkeeper? But he offered more, you know, with the distribution and stuff like that. So I think it'll be a big signing if we can get it. it I would say it's genuinely as important as a striking signing, in my opinion, but it might be a wee bit controversial. I know a lot of people want to see a big money striker brought in, but for me, if we get a striker who guarantees 20 goals plus a goalkeeper like Onana, I think that's better than just getting a striker who scores you 30, 35 goals. You know what I mean? Better for the overall team. No, I I agree, man. I, I really agree. I think, 
you know, the way United's budget is stretched so thin, and not even the budget, I think just the financial fair play restrictions that have been placed on United um, for, for this window. I, I think goalkeeper is definitely one of those positions. Look, I, I'm a massive De Gea fan, um, but I, I think what we could get from an elite distributor, especially playing out from the back, like you said, if they could have the same effect as an Allison. I think it's well worth investing the money in. Um, Connor, coming to it then, look, that distribution, as Stefan was saying, was it really did lack for United at times last season. Uh, and it was one th- it was the, the biggest weakness in De Gea's game. So if you can get somebody like Onana, somebody like Costa, although it it is looking more likely to be Onana at this current moment in time, what can that do for United then? Is that going to be a major major signing and will it affect United's style of play as much as say maybe the media think it will no 100% um, as we've seen all season De Gea on the ball he wasn't bad but he he you were always afraid um, I've seen Onana in the Champions League final and I was really really impressed he could take he can just take the ball on he can dribble with the ball so he can take that press um, and it, not even his short passing, even his long passing was pretty impressive. He also comes out for the ball, you know, early, which is something that David De Gea doesn't do anymore. Um, the only thing that would worry me is, as you said, the budget. If we only have, I'm seeing, you know, stories today, we're only going to have 120 million. Spending 50 of that in a goalkeeper does worry me where we need players in other positions. We need a midfielder. We need a striker. Um, and he was looking at a right back as well. That's the only thing that would worry me. But there's no doubt that Onana is an upgrade. The other thing was that you were saying about um, Inter Milan took a chance on him because obviously he got the ban with the doping ban and then he had kind of been on the bench for Ajax the next year and they've obviously got a reward from that. But I would definitely agree that he is a, an upgrade, especially... Um, I've seen even like he's a great shot stopper, as you said as well. Like he had the most clean sheets in the Champions League. Like he is a top top goalkeeper. I think a lot of people already knew that, but then the doping ban came in. He he also has played under Ten Hag, so he knows what kind of style of play he wants to to play. So I th- I think it is a win a win win to be honest. But the only problem is the qu- the question is about the hair was like they were looking to keep him and and then to pull the deal at the last minute after he had accepted the lower wages as well was a bit weird, but. I do think he upgrades the team, but it's just going to be about the other, where are we going to spend the other money? Because it looks like if we spend 50 million on a goalkeeper and we only have 120 million, and as Stefan has said, we have struggled for years to sell players. Where, like, where else are we going to upgrade? If we're going to spend 60 million on Mount as well, it's just going to be, where's that excess money going to come from? It's going to come from sales. And I'm seeing people, like I've seen, uh, maybe it was Romano was saying like they're looking 40 million for Maguire 40 million for McTominay I, I can't see us getting that yeah no definitely definitely it it, it is a bit of a cause for concern Um, the, the the price tag but he is definitely a fantastic goalkeeper we, we only need to watch the Champions League final to, to see that he, he he really stands up in big moments and he was excellent but moving on from goalkeeper lads we're going to go to strikers uh, today confirmed by Fabrizio Romano that Bayern Munich had a 70 million bid rejected for Spurs' Harry Kane that's of course a, a transfer target on the podcast here um, that we have wanted to see at United for, for a very long time but 
The biggest striker being linked to Manchester United at the minute is Rosmus Hoyland, uh, the 20-year-old uh, striker from Atlanta in Serie A. He had 12 goals, four assists in all competitions this season. That includes in the Bundesliga too. Um, he has a 0.47 non-penalty expected goals, 6.53 touches in the opposition box. The biggest thing I have seen about him, and, and after watching uh, some Glazeri videos and stuff on him, a lot of people over there think he is inconsistent, but he does have plenty of time on his side to develop. He is the particular profile of striker that Ten Hag has worked with in the past, which is always a positive. But coming to you first, Stefan, Hoyland, young striker, is it the right avenue to go down? I think that's a good question there, Richie, because... I know certainly coming into the window, we've seen a lot of talk that Ten Hag wanted two strikers. You know, he wanted a young striker and he would like an experienced striker. And I think that would have been a really nice balance because then it's like, yes, Hoyland will come in for more money. But if you have somebody there, a bit more experienced, maybe they're pushing 30, going to be there for a season or two, they can take a lot of that pressure off him. Because if he comes in as the only striking signing and he doesn't hit the ground running, you know, people are going to be saying why have you spent this money on the guy? But I think I think in terms of what he actually does offer, it's very it it actually plays in very nicely to what we have, you know, currently at the minute. He's basically played in a front two for most of the season at Atalanta. He's played in the right hand side of that um front two. So the way Rashford cuts in, it wouldn't be impacting his game. So I think that's important. I think I said the other day actually I was going live because somebody was saying like get Ozzyman or get you know Harry Kane or whatever but I think with the budget constraints and things like that it's very unlikely but I had said if we get a guy who adds 20 goals and we can still get 30 goals out of Rashford that's 50 goals you know what I mean and yes you want to add the quality but what you don't want to do is take away from the other guys who are playing well already and I think that's something we've seen when Ronaldo came you know Ronaldo came in Rashford's game dropped Bruno's game dropped Anthony Martial, Sancho, you know, a lot of goals just disappeared from that team that were there the season before. So whilst Ronaldo, you know, he got 25 goals that season, everybody else got single digits. So like that that's kind of what we're talking. I think if Hoyland does come in, I think he brings a lot of work rate. He's a young, exciting player. He will be inconsistent, you know, make no mistake about it. But I think we've probably got enough that we could cover it. Do you know what I mean? It's like when we dipped in form last season, it was because Rashford wasn't scoring, you know what I mean? He was the only guy really scoring on a consistent basis. So Rashford can be inconsistent sometimes. Hoyland can be inconsistent. It's probably unlikely that they're both going to be inconsistent at the one time as well. So I think it would be definitely for the side. And it all depends on the price. I think the price is going to be the big one. And it, it, I mean, it is frustrating. Like we saw today, the financial results came out. We actually have 260 million on credit, but we can't spend it because of fair player rules. So I don't know. It, it's it's a tough one. Like, you know what I mean? A hundred percent, mate. And look, if it was FIFA or football manager and we had unlimited budget, we could sign who I wanted, but that doesn't happen in, in real life. Connor, again, just on, just on Hoyland, look, if he did come in, it would be only him and Anthony Martial at the club. And, and there is rumours floating about that United would be happy to sell Martial if the right money come in. Would you just be worried that United's attack is a bit burr heading into next season? I think if you're going to compete for a title, you need a player like Harry Kane, as we've been saying for weeks on the podcast. I think, obviously, this guy is a good young player. He's 20. You know, apparently, he's a big lad, 6'4". He's a good link-up player. As uh, Stefan was saying there, it's going to be a lot of pressure on his shoulder, or shoulders. And for a young player, it's he's 20. And, like, as we said, Martial, 
my big problem with him is is just staying fit because he does provide you know he is a good hold up player and he he can score like he can score goals but he just can't stay fit and i think we are going to be in trouble if we have you know we're putting a lot of a lot of stuff on this young player if he's coming in and he's going to cost a lot of money too because he, i've seen he only signed for atlanta last summer so it's going to be costly as we said the budget i would love to harry kane i would love to Oshman or you know somebody of that caliber but it looks like it's not going to happen now um kane would have been perfect you need i think united definitely need an experienced striker who's going to score them you know at 20 goals a season if they're going to compete uh but you know as you said he does score goals he's good hold up player you know it's just, it is just a huge worry going into the season because we've been we were saying all last year we need a striker we need a striker we need a striker and it looks like we're not going to get that top top striker because i think if Harry Kane came into this united team he would he would help it a lot and would you know i think we could be title contenders if we got him yeah, look, well, well, that's when you get a Premier League proven striker like Kane, of course, that that's the expectation, and and it, that's what they say. It's always the expectation that kills you. But look, unfortunately, it does look like we're going to miss out on on that experienced striker this season. Well, do you know what, actually, boys, maybe not necessarily, because a lot of this is going to come down to our outgoings. Now, Stefan, you've already highlighted we are not a good selling football club. We never have been. Well, under the Glazers, we, we haven't been. But looking at some of the names here. Maguire, 40 million. McTominay, 40 million. Dean Henderson, 20 million. Alex Tellez, 10 million. Eric Bay, I'm a bit shocked at this. They're only looking 5 million for Eric Bay. Uh, Brandon Williams, uh, about 7 million. There's there's a few other names on the list here. They're, they're all a wee bit lower in price. But look, realistically, I think there's 10 names here on the for sale list. Stefan, how many can we get rid of by the time the summer's done? It's a good question there. Um... I, th- I think we can sell some of them now. Do I think we're getting anywhere near that caliber of money? No, I, I don't. I mean, I think, honestly, if you're looking at realistic values, I think Scott McTominay is a £20 million player. I think, you know, 25, 26, Premier League proven. Whilst he isn't perfect for United, he could absolutely go to a West Ham or an Everton, someone like that, at that level. And just because you're playing at that level, you know, it doesn't make you a bad player. It just means you're not suited to what we have. And I think it's the same for Maguire. I mean, I don't think Carry Maguire is as bad as what some people might think he might be, but I think it's the limitations in his game get really overexposed at United. You know, he's so slow, he can't he's no agility really in his game. Playing on the halfway line is just not gonna work for him. But I think I think genuinely you could probably get twenty million for Maguire and McTominay. Then I think there's a bit of a cutoff. I think Dane Henderson, yeah, you could probably sell him for 15, 20 million. See outside of those three, you're you're really clutching his straws. I I think I've seen the same report that you might have. I think we we're looking twenty million pound for Tony Van de Beek. You know that's never going to happen. Um, twenty five million for Anthony Martial. That's never going to happen. He cannot stay. Fit. He can't stay fit. And I think that's the big thing. It's like you have to be realistic, but you also have to at the same time don't just take the first deal on offer. I mean that's the Dan Iqbal deal what is it, 1 million euros for Zidane Iqbal to Utrecht? I mean, well, it's, yeah, it's good to have the sell-on clause and a buyback clause. I mean, it's still really poor business. And I think I'm right in saying the only player we've actually made profit on since Ferguson retired happens to be Dan James, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure we so pretty sure we bought him for about 18 million, sold him for 25. So 7 million pound profit, that's about it. I mean, 
we don't have the track record that would say, you know, we're going to raise 100 million in sales. I mean, we, we just don't have it. So I'm a little bit pessimistic on that one, if I'm being honest with you, lads. No, look, I, I, I think that's totally fair enough, man. I think that's totally fair enough. Like you said, I mean, when Don James is the only player that you're making profit on, <laughs> what you, it makes you scratch your head and go, what the hell is going on at that football club? Um, Connor, similar sort of question. Looking at those names that, that are being linked with a move away from Old Trafford this summer, are you confident that United could even raise 50, 60 million? <sighs> That's a great question. It's just, you know, there's 13 players apparently up for sale and we've sold one so far for 1 million euros. So, as, as we keep saying, the track record's brutal. Um, That's a crazy stat, the Don James one. That's just, oh, just shows you, like, um, just our spending has just been brutal, overspending for players. Uh, I do think McTominay, I would agree, I think he is going to be sellable. It's going to be up to the players, though, because a lot of them are in big money. And will they actually want to leave the club? Like, Brandon Williams are, is sitting at United and he's got a, I think he's got two or three years left on his contract on good money. Is he going to look to leave United? I, I think it'll only be like a loan deal. A lot of these could be end up being loan deals. Maguire, we paid 80 million for him as a centre-back. I agree. I think he's only worth 20, 25 million, but United are never going to sell him for under 40 because it would be embarrassing for them. They think they've got an English international there, a centre-back that I would agree. I think he could start for a West Ham. There was talk going about that Maguire and McTominay for race, which I don't think West Ham would be stupid enough to do that, to be honest, but uh, 50, 60 million. It really, again, it could happen with United. I, I, I don't think so, to be honest. It, it maybe will depend on the owners coming in because they might just say, right, we'll just take the hit. We'll just sell all the players. We'll take the hit. You know, we'll sell them for cheaper, but at the minute they're never going to sell these players on for under that. I think United think these players are worth that much, but in reality, they're just not. Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. It, it's definitely going to be an interesting one that we'll have to keep our eye on over the summer because, like like, like you said there, Connor, 13 players on the 4 seal list, it, it's it's a lot of dead wood to clear out of a club. Um, and I mean, I don't think it would be physically possible to sell 13 players in one window anyway. I, I've never heard of a club ever doing that. So, um, I think, yeah, 13 on the for sale is just a bit optimistic from United. Um, moving on then, lads, to the tactical look at, at at the game and the tactical side of Manchester United. Now, look, I think all three of us can be in agreement. Eric Ten Hag is the right man for the job. A phenomenal first season at United. To come in, finish in the Champions League squad, or to finish in the Champions League places with that squad, uh, to win a Carabao Cup with that squad, make an FA Cup final. Bit disappointing in the Europa League. I don't think there's there's any two ways about that. I know we got beat by the eventual winners of it, but really, lads, I think when we were 2-0 up and we, we, we looked home and hosed. Um, so disappointment there. But averaging 1.97 points per game, uh, that's the highest of any Manchester United manager post Sir Alex Ferguson for a single season. Uh, we only scored 58 Premier League goals. We conceded 43. So really what we need to see from United next season is a bit more creative um, in that final third, a bit more execution as well. And really, you just need to get stronger defensively as well. Injuries really hampered us this season. Stefan, coming to you first, looking at that and, and hearing some of those numbers, it does point towards positives for Eric Ten Hag. Yeah, I mean, it definitely does. And I think the big thing is there's not enough goals going in in our end. You know, we're not scoring enough goals. I think, you know, 
although we conceded, what was it, 43, you said? We, we did still win the Golden Glove. So I think whenever we actually count, um, we conceded nearly half of our goals in about four matches. You know, Liverpool 7-0, conceded 6 to City, 4 to Brentford. You know, that's a lot of goals in just a couple of matches. So you could say when it rains, it really pours. Like So I think that's a mentality issue. I think it's when we go... Maybe not one goal behind, but if we go two goals behind, heads seriously drop. And I think that is something to be concerned about. But I think what it it's very basic. I mean, score more goals, concede less goals. It does it, it's the most basic way to try win something, but it is true as well. And I th- I think the way we do it is we really start to buy and do what Ten Hag wants to do. I think we've seen glimpses of it last year, but that was by no means what an Eric Ten Hag team really is. I think if we look at what Ajax were doing before he left and compared to what we did last season, you know, maybe against some of the smaller teams, we were holding a lot more possession, making chances, but certainly anybody beyond the bottom five, six teams, you know, we we actually did struggle. And I think the big one is that away record as well. The away record was a pawn last season. So that has to be improved for me. And I think if we do that, we could genuinely be on for a good season next year, but still a lot of improvement to be made. It will be a big preseason, and I think we'll see more glimpses of it. I think you know with this, this potential signs we're talking there, a goalkeeper coming in, you know, proper distributor from the back, you know, that'll help us so much moving up the pitch. And then if we have a striker at the other end, another midfielder, you know, to try and make more of all this extra possession we hopefully are going to have. I think you know that will make a big difference to how United actually play on the pitch. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think the signings really, you know, come pre-season time, hopefully if we have them in through the door, that's where you'll get your biggest indicator as to whether the style of play is going to gonna shift that, that 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 little bit. Connor, again, just touching on what Stefan said there, you know, really highlighted the appalling away record that United had last season. But on the flip side of that, absolutely excellent at home. Uh, probably one of the best home records um, in the Premier League. Um so really, yeah, if United can just turn around that away form and go away from home and dominate games, really you'd be looking at it saying, yeah, look, United United could maybe do something next season. Yeah, I think it was something like maybe we only beat like one team in the top 10 or something away, um, which is not going to bode well. Uh, would, I thought we overachieved last season big time. I thought Ten Hag done an unbelievable job. I felt like, you know, at the start he... He tried to implement what he'd done at Ajax, um, but he quickly realised, uh, you know, the squad probably wasn't good enough uh, to achieve what he wanted. Um, I thought last year we were highly dependent on Bruno Fernandes, especially for, you know, the creativity. I thought our forward players let him down a lot, uh, Bruno, because Bruno, like, created the most chances in the Premier League, and he's been doing that on a consistent basis for years, and we're just not finishing our chances. Um you bring up that Europa League game, uh, Sevilla, 2 0 up, Bruno's playing. Uh, we'll have to take him off because he might have got sent off and he was suspended or suspended for the second leg. I think there was no question. And then we lost 5 0 over the next, you know, that period of play. I think it was down to him. Uh, I thought Casemiro came in and done unbelievable. I thought he he papered over a lot of cracks. Uh, you know, with Ten Hag, we did, we did play really, really well at home, away from home, just, you know horrible we try, like when we tried to like play that kind of counter-attacking game we really struggled uh especially like against Liverpool where it was just it was just brutal um that's why I think we definitely need a striker as you said 58 goals is nowhere near enough you're looking at City they're scoring like nearly is it over 100 goals per season like that it's just crazy like that is the kind of heights you have to reach um 
with the defense, I thought were you know, I would agree with Stefan there. Like it was down to a few games. Like we lost seven nil to Liverpool, four nil to Brentford. Like there was a few chickens we got. De Gea was golden boot winner. I thought our defense improved a lot for Ron if he can stay fit. And I thought Martinez was unbelievable. Um, especially he he's a player that can, you know, again, a lot of teams bring that press. He can transition, he can get through that press. Um losing him against Sevilla was another huge loss. Uh again, it's gonna come down to signings. I think we do need a a right back. I think Dumfries would be very good for us. I think, you know, I thought he was very good in the Champions League final. He can create that attack and threat. I thought Wambasaka, I do believe, is a good player. And Dallow maybe provides that more attack and play. But I think the left-back and right-back positions need to provide more uh, attacking uh, positions because kind of like Casemiro can sit back, help the two defenders. And, you know, Anthony, we're going to need improvement. Sancho, it's, it's going to be a tough one. But I do think... We need three or four players in there. As the ones you have mentioned, if we're going to improve, I I actually I know as you know, I do worry about next season because I think where are the goals going to come from? Because I thought we're heavily relied on Rashford. I think he scored like nearly thirty percent of our goals in the Premier League, which is it's a lot. It is. It is a lot. And look, I I do share some of your concerns, but at the same time, I do. Tr- I, I, I think if Ten Hag could get it right this season, like and he proved us that he could, I think he can get it right next season as well, even with a few extra bodies through the door. Stefan, look, one of Ten Hag's biggest criticisms last season was some of his substitutions um, at times. Do you think that's fair criticism? Uh, Joe, I do and I don't. I, I think there's times when he could have brought the subs on probably earlier. I think some of them were probably a little bit negative. You know, he did turn to McTominay and Fred coming on, Maguire coming on, three at the back, you know, try to shut up shop. But I, th- I think it's genuinely coming down to options as well. And, and the most obvious example I've gone on about a couple of times on my own shows and stuff is FA Cup final, right? City take off Kevin De Bruyne and they put on Phil Foden. You know, that is ridiculous. And Manchester United, we turn around and we're bringing on Bout Veghorst. You know, that I, I think he's kind of working with what he's got. I think he probably could improve as well. But I think overall, if he had better options, he probably would use them as well. So I think it's like he's probably thinking in his head, if he puts McTominay on for Ericsson, you know, then there's not a ball player in midfield. Or if he puts Veghorst on for Martial or Rashford, whoever's playing up front, you know, there's no legs to get in behind now. So I think he's kind of looking at it like that. I think in terms of actual subs, the best one we've had all season has been Garnacho. I think, I think I saw Garnacho was maybe the most impactful sub in terms of goals and assists in the entire Premier League. So, I think when he has the option, someone who can change the game like that, he does use them. But I think, whenever you're looking at bringing McTominay on for Eriksson or bringing on Maguire for Rafael Varane, you know, you are going to be a bit hesitant to make those subs as well, and you're worrying about the drop in quality you're going to get. No, definitely, definitely, and I do I do agree with you, Stefan. I think when you look at United squad as a whole, he can only work with what he has, and if what he has isn't good enough, it's going to be difficult for a manager to to work miracles with that. Connor, one thing that Eric Ten Hag was especially good at last season was developing United's youth prospects, and we've seen quite a few young players get minutes um, under Ten Hag. As Stefan's already said, Alejandro Garnacho, no doubt one of the 
the, the biggest wonder kids now in the Premier League. Uh, Kobe Menu in midfield as well. Got quite a few minutes for Kondo Palestri. Seen minutes for Manchester United this season. We've got Ama Diallo coming back now from loan as well. So do you expect him to continue that trend of working with young players? Yeah, especially if we've got a limited budget. I'd expect some of them players to uh, play a lot of games. I can see Garnacho definitely starting next season. I thought... Uh, he was very impressive when he came on against Man City in the FA Cup final. I thought he was our, you know, our most dangerous player. Um, you know, the squad depth isn't really there at the minute, uh, as Stefan said. And as we're going to sell players, it's going to be even less. Um, Palestri, I think, is a good player. I've seen him in the Europa League, especially. He was very, very good. Diallo at Sunderland was really impressive as well. There is talk he might go back to Sunderland, um, but I, I would, I would like him to come to United. I think in the winger positions, we're not too bad. Uh, obviously, have Anthony, Sancho, Granacho, um, you know, even Rashford likes to play on the wing sometimes, but it, it is just going to be squad depth, as Stefan said. They're like when you're looking at Man City in the FA Cup final and they're bringing on, or they're, they even they didn't even bring on Alvarez, you know, that, that's Dennis and Laporte and players like that. Like they have some huge, it's the squad depth. You're seeing with Arsenal, that's what they're doing. They're banning players in positions to strengthen, to have that backup. I feel like with Ten Hag last season, I thought he'd done really well with the subs at the start of the year, but as you've seen this year went on, that's the thing that worries me about Man United. I do believe in the manager, but it's just the squad depth. I think if you lose a Casemiro, you lose a Bruno Fernandes, you're in big trouble. While if City lost maybe a Rodri or a De Bruyne, even in the Champions League final, they lost De Bruyne. And it was okay. They brought on Phil Foden. And, you know, Phil Foden's a top player. And he's a player that would, you know, start for Man United. Uh, but as you said, he's going to have to develop these young players into the squad because... We're not going to have the squad depth. But I'm really excited about Garnaccio. I thought the FA Cup final, even you know in the latter year, he was playing really well, even against Fulham before the World Cup. He scored a great goal. Um, he got an injury, which hurt him. But even coming back there towards the end of the season, you can see there's a top, top player there. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Definitely exciting times in terms of that that youth development that United are, are so well known for. Just before we wrap it up then, lads, Stefan, United back in the Champions League next season. It'll be great to watch uh, United on a on either a Tuesday or a Wednesday rather than a, rather than a Thursday night. Um, look, realistically, what's the aims in the Champions League this year? Is it just to get out of the group? Or could you see the way Ten Hag has mastered the Cups this year could we be looking at maybe a Champions League semi-final or final next year? You're getting me excited thinking about it here, Rich. You can't lie to me. <laughs> but um, no, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think it's good. You know, we finished third place. There's no qualifiers or anything like that. Straight into the group. So obviously, we're going to be pot two. So we will come up against a top-seeded team. So whether that's going to end up being like a Sevilla or I think like Benfica might be in that group maybe. I'm not 100% on that. There are definitely easier draws, you know, but I think we can get out of the groups. I think regardless, I would back us to make it through the group stage. And then I think it depends. You know, if we manage to win the group, you get a favourable round of 16 draw, then you could find yourself in the quarterfinals. And then you're kind of like, well, who knows what's going to happen? Obviously, I don't think we're going to win it. I think we can make quarterfinals. I think that's probably a realistic expectation. I think based on last season, the team had last season, we get out of the groups. If we improve this season in the summer, then we'll probably make it into the quarterfinals maybe I think I think that's a realistic one I'm not going to get too ahead of myself with it <laughs> oh you have to lad you have to you have to reach for the stars lad that's what it's all about Connor just very quickly then before we before we finish up this episode ideally give me what United do next season 
Where do they finish in the league? Do they win any trophies? You know me, lad. I'm usually the negative one. So I'm going to keep it. I am. I think it is too early to say because we're going to have to wait and see the signings. But if this team went in at the minute, I honestly, which is going to sound crazy, but I honestly believe we'd struggle to get top four. I, I, I can see Chelsea improving. You're seeing even Chelsea. They're offloading all these players. They're getting these players in. And they've got Pochettino in. I see Liverpool improving. They're not going to be as bad as last year. I do think United obviously played really well last year, but they did get a bit of luck with the teams that kind of dropped off. Even Spurs, I think, will improve next year. If it's going to go, I'd say probably... You just got to go... I'd say fourth at the minute. And that's if we sign the players that we're talking about. Because I think if we're going to reach that next level, we definitely need a... A top striker, but I do agree with Stefan in the Champions League. It's it really is to do with the draw because even you look at Inter Milan there, there's no way they would have thought we're going to make a Champions League final, but they got a favourable draw and they I think they can't they came second in their group and they just got a favourable draw and they got through and they got to the final. So you never know in that way. And as you said, the cups again, I wouldn't rule them out of any cups because the FA Cup gets to the final first season and the League Cup. I could see us winning maybe the FA Cup or something like that and maybe getting to a quarter final of the Champions League. I think we should definitely get through the group if you're in part two. You need to be getting through that group, and like some of the top, there is some top teams in there like Bayern and you know PSG and teams like that. But there's teams in there like Feyenoord and Benfica you'd expect to beat. So it's going to depend on the draw. But I go maybe fourth in the league and maybe quarter final of the Champions League, maybe an FA Cup, which would be a great season. That let's let's be honest, if we're on with the new owners and the FFP and the limited budget. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And same question to yourself then, Stefan. Looking at it, what are United going to do next season? I think if we, if we get the players we're going for, I genuinely think, I think we can definitely get in the top four. I think it will be difficult now. You know, Liverpool, they're looking like they're going to bring in a whole new midfield, whole new engine room. And that's what they needed all of last season. You know, you're looking at Henderson and Milner, and then you're going to Alexis McAllister and the likes in their next season. So they'll be better. Chelsea, they couldn't be worse. So they definitely will be up there. I think Spurs will be an interesting one if they keep hold of Harry Kane. I think they've got a good manager now. So they could maybe do something. But I I think genuinely, if you think about how much a goalkeeping um improvement Onana is going to be, that's going to completely change how United play football next season. Mount will help in midfield. If we bring in a striker, add some goals. I think we can definitely do better. I think I think I'll agree with Connor there. I think top four finish, cry for a trophy as well, and then see how far we can go in the Champions League. I think if we're looking at competing for Premier Leagues or Champions Leagues, we're definitely a season or two off that. I think it will take a little bit longer, but who knows what can happen moving into the next couple of years. You know, takeover could change a lot of things. And it could happen a lot quicker than maybe we even think so. Maybe even next season we could be up there challenged for, for big trophies. So Yes, agreed, mate. Agreed. And and I think really I think we are still maybe a season or two just off that off that top table honors just yet. Um but look, the future does look bright under Arcton Hag. I was gonna ask that, Richie. I was gonna ask what do you think? What do you think? Uh I'm going to say top four, lad. I still think we make the top four. I think we're good enough to make the top four. Um, could possibly win a cup. And yeah, like like you said, lads, if we got to a quarterfinal of a Champions League, I'd be more than happy with that, to be honest. I think if we could just build... It, it's crazy to say, though. Like, Yeah, it's crazy to say we're going to come a position below. But I think even if you give Ten Hag another year, we are building like we are going in the right direction. Yeah. 
yeah, no, it is. It's it's just wee small building blocks. You just keep building on it, and 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 that that's all you can really ask for, isn't it, lads? Um, well, look, that's going to do it for this episode, folks. Thank you very much for tuning in to our very first perfect preseason, Manchester United. Stefan, massive thank you for coming on to the channel, man. Really, really appreciate it. No problem, lads. Anytime, anytime. Well, look, like I said, Stefan's uh, the United philosophy. We're going to leave the link in the bio. Make sure if you're a Manchester United fan, get over there and get subscribing onto that channel. As always, we are at Bottom Bins Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. You can all us all. Uh, you can also find us on the Parlay Sports app, P R L Y Sports, on the Apple App Store. And as always, keep it bottom bins. Keep it bottom bins.